Ron and Anian. They held the thermostat in place to the thermostat housing with these two little wafer-thin fingers that kept the thermostat pellet in place. Pardonnez, monsieur, a wafer-thin meat. No, sir, it's only a tiny little thin one. The car doctor. You know, it's staggering. We're making cars out of plastic. I hate to clue anybody in, but it's kind of critical mass stuff. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberry. Here's Ronnie. Start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. The number again, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. Here to take your calls and answer your questions live right now in studio. We are out on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. East Coast time. We're East Coasters. And uh, we're here live in the studio at that time as we are right now. You can call 855-560-9900. And... Talk to us. Just pick up the phone, and we'll be glad to take your call and answer your questions about your car. And keep in mind that the 855-560-9900 phone number is also got a recorded line on it. You get to talk to uh, Tom Ray. Tom Ray will call you back and put you in queue for the next live broadcast. I am assisted today, as always, in quite well in the studio. Wait, Lucy the Wonder Dog is here with me. Let me see if Lucy wants to talk on radio today. Lucy, you want to say anything to anybody? No, she's sleeping. She's happy. She's just content down there on the floor. She and it really is Lucy. The Lucy the 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 the, the show's pit bull. She's down. She's protecting me by the door in case Tom wants to come in. So obviously on the other side of the glass we got Mad Motor Mike and Big Tom Ray, and I am here, Ron and Andy, the car doctor, to help and uh, talk to you about your car. Coming up down around the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Ben Johnson. He is the director of product management for Mitchell One, and we're going to be talking to Ben about ADAS. What is it? It's the big buzzword in the industry, ADAS, and it stands for Advanced driver assistance systems so as you can tell it's it's with smart cars and connected cars and everything else it's an awful lot to understand and 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 swallow so to speak as from a technical point of view we've asked ben to stop by and enlightened us as far as uh, some of the easier things to know and understand about it and perhaps you'll understand when you take your car in for that wheel alignment that why it's no longer you know a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars or why it requires such specialized equipment because of all the bells and whistles that we've got on the cars today making them connected from headrests to following our eyes and everything else that's involved with an automobile but we are here to take your calls that's what the car doctor does and likes to do best so let's kick the garage doors open and let's go over to ed in virginia 13 ford focus ed welcome to the car doctor sir how can i help uh, we're trying to uh install a uh, subwoofer and amplifier combination, and thank you for taking my call. Um, it's trying to put it in the rear, and we need to get power from the battery out to the rear to the hatchback area and cannot find a ready path. I have not found uh, you know an easy place to drill a hole in the firewall 
or something to pop out and run a wire through, and there doesn't appear to be any place inside the car to take the 12 volts. How, how heavy? Not of the current needed. How, how heavy of a um, cable are you using, Ed? Um, it recommends using an 8-gauge. Okay, so using the thing is only a fifteen amp. Right, but so it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty hefty cable, uh, yes. a, a number eight cable. So you know to get through the firewall, if you look at it, now where does the parking brake? Is the parking brake between the seat or is it a foot pedal down on the left? I think on the I think it's I think it's down on the left. Down I on the left. Double check. So yeah. my question, my first question would be, where does the parking brake cable go out? Does it go out through the bottom floor pan, or does it go out through the firewall and then straight down? And if it does, is there room next to the? You know, they they have to run that through a rubber grommet. If 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 they do, is there room next to that rubber grommet? Not so that you're drilling through the firewall, and not so that you're obviously drilling through the cable, but you're 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 just punching a hole through the rubber and feeding your cable through that. Does that get you out of the passenger compartment? All right? So okay. th that's my first question. The second question I've got is if you look at the firewall, there's generally over on the left side a bundle of cable or wiring, and that is ensconced by a big rubber grommet. If you, right. If, if you, if, you know, do you have any latitude or leeway there? If you were to take a, a small, thin pick, can you punch through the rubber only, making a hole, and then run your cable out, your, your number eight wire out through that, and then make your way over to the battery in the battery junction box? Yeah. I, uh, when I looked at it initially, it looks like I'd have to get behind the glove box, and <clears throat> the looked uh, more difficult than I wanted to in terms of trying to remove the glove box and there's a fair amount of plumbing across there. Yeah, no, we don't want to do that. We're listen, I'm lazy. I try to find the path of least resistance, brother. Um, I would I would look at parking brake. I would look to see where the where did the factory run the cables? Where did they run the harnesses out? Uh, Everything know. is going yeah, through that one big hole. All right. So, you know, that that solves that. Now, the other way to approach this is uh, there's a company out there by the name of Crutchfield, crutchfield.com. They're right down there in Virginia Way. Uh, they yep. sell car stereo and, and audio and all that stuff, and they have for many, many years. And I found working with them has been a great experience because when they sell you something, and even when they don't sell you something, if you call them, you can purchase, I believe, separate installation instructions. So if they happen to sell whatever it is that you're trying to install, the amp that you're trying to install... Mm -hmm. They most likely have vehicle-specific instructions for that amp yeah. install on that vehicle. Okay. Um, and you know, listen, you know, what could they want for it? If it's twenty dollars, thirty dollars, forty dollars, if if somebody's got a roadmap on how to do this and it's already laid out, I've I've learned not to be the great innovator all the time. <laughs> you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, you know, flattery is the, you know, imitation is a is the most sincere form of flattery and. Yeah. Being able to see, hey, how did this work out? That's that's the beauty of it. Um, last, did you happen to look for YouTube? You know, 2013 Focus, stereo install right. out on YouTube. Did anybody show a picture there? And then There was some generic stuff, but... Yeah, we're looking for vehicle-specific at this point. Right. And then, right. and then once that's done, once you get out to the battery junction box, all right, they're going to be... You're going to see in the battery junction box, there's a Fuse 22, F22... 
which is a 15-amp fuse. That actually powers up off of the battery monitoring sensor, which I'm trying to get as close to that as I can. If you can find connector C1100. C1100. Okay. C1100, which comes off. It's it's Go to the positive battery cable. It'll be a white lead, and then the battery power cable itself, which leads over to the battery junction box. If we can tap into that or tap into either the white before the fuse or actually after the fuse if you wanted to, or the red where it goes into the battery junction box. Do this. Ed, you, um, take my email. You got you got a pencil? Ron at, yes. Ron at cardoctorshow.com. All right, and okay. what I'll, what I'll mm -hmm. do is Ron at Cardoctor, spell out doctor, Ron at Cardoctorshow.com. After the show today, I'll print out some wiring diagrams, and I'll be, okay. glad to, I'll be glad to email them to you in the next day or two. Uh I appreciate that. All right, sir. But that's that's how I would approach this. And then once okay. you get it through the firewall, safe and secure, and you want to obviously have it so that you're not you don't have the the wire rubbing against metal; it's surrounded by rubber. Right, right, then right. it's going to be a matter of lifting the trim on the left side of the floor pan and tucking it underneath the sill mm -hmm. plate and working your way back to the trunk. So, uh, you know, that's that's how I would approach mm -hmm. this. But take your time doing this first part because this first part's going to be the anchor for the system. Right. Cool. All, All right. Thank so you. We're here for you, sir. You let us know if you need anything else. Excellent. Thank you. Ron. You're very welcome. Take good care. Let's uh, let's go over and talk to, is that Mike in Maryland with some questions about Hyundais? Oh, boy. So, hey, Mike, uh, you know, Mike, before you start, I didn't tell you about my week this week. I worked on a Hyundai Tiburon. <clears throat> didn't end well. Okay. Go ahead. Ask me your question now. Uh, All right. Well, Mike, I'm in the market for a new car, and I, top of the list, I wanted to find out your opinion of, the Sonatas and the Elantras. So when I got off the phone with the guy from Tech Support, because I actually had a call because the factory information was incorrect, mm -hmm. and, and I had to call a tech line service to get a verification of the factory information that was incorrect, and he said, yeah, you diagnosed the car correctly. He said, the car is broken. He said, the way you're proving it is right. The factory information is wrong. And you need this $1,100 controller. And I said, yeah, I know. I just wanted to. So I didn't have to tell my customer I need $1,100 worth of parts and $500 worth of repairs on this 12-year-old Tiburon with 52,000 miles on it, of which I found out later on there's only one left in the country because there's a shortage of parts now with the whole Korea thing. Um, when, when, when I told the guy at Hyundai or at the, at the tech line service, I said, well, you know what Hyundai stands for? And he said, what's that? And I, I said, you know, because everybody hears Ford, you know, first on race day and found on road dead and Chevrolet and Hervey Ralph Rattle on longest end of trips. I said, you know what Hyundai stands for, don't you? He said, no, what? I said, hope you understand nothing's drivable and inexpensive. That, the guy fell off the chair. So you're talking to me about Hyundais. You know, I told Tom before the show because I was doing some pre-show prep with Tom. And I said, you know, he said, how was your week? And I said, well, I'm thinking Hyundai may replace Volkswagen on the top of my hit list, um, you know, for, for what they are, because uh, it's just like, holy cow. Um, yeah. They're both good cars, all, all kidding aside. They're both good cars. I don't know that I would keep it as long as this gentleman kept his. This car was 12 going on 13 years old. And the problem becomes, you know, it legitimately needs this ABS control unit, the hydraulic control assembly, and it's it's eleven twelve hundred dollars and there's one in the country. <laughs> you know, um, my, my standard answer for Hyundai over the years, Hyundai and Kia, both. I, I, I lumped them in the same bin in my head. Hyundai and Kia are five- to six-year cars, and they're gone. I, I, I don't see the point in keeping them longer than that. So and in your opinion, what would be a good car? What are we trying to do? What, what are we looking for? Something in the Elantra Sonata range? 
Yeah, uh, something that's dependable. I want dependability above all, something that's going to last. Okay. Um, I still like the Ford Fusion. I still, okay. I still like the Ford Escape. Okay. I like the new Chevy Equinox. I wouldn't I wouldn't consider a Chrysler at this point because every Chrysler oh, I no. see has way too much plastic on. Although the good news is the Chrysler engineers solved the rust issue; they made everything out of plastic, uh, so that doesn't happen anymore. Um, I like I like the Toyotas. Um, you know, the problem with you start getting into Toyota and Honda. I'll, I'll say it like this, Mike, and then I'm going to go. You know, okay. I, I think I think Ford, GM, Toyota, and Honda are probably, you know, the four. And if you want to add Chrysler to that for the Jeep lovers out there, those are the five major food groups. You'll find something there you'll like. And the first four I'm, I'm happy with. The, the Chrysler I've got some issues with, but okay, I'll let you buy one. Um, the, yeah. the, the point becomes Toyota's not bad, GM's not bad, Ford's not bad. Honda tends to think that they're perfect, and they know it, and negotiating price and service information and everything else is an issue. Right. Uh, you know, and then keep this in mind, and the jury's still out in my head. I don't know if we're going to drive what we buy the next car is going to drive it for 10 or 12 years. I don't know if the car's capable of giving me 10 or 12 years of service. I don't know if the parts or the support or the, techno the technology and the electrical information is going to be able to give me that car for the next 10, 12 years because of the technology that's in it. Yeah. So do this. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll make you a bet. Call me. Go, go, drive, go drive a Ford Fusion, an Escape, an Equinox, and pick something from Toyota. Call me back in two weeks. Let me know what you think, and I'll tell you what the better choice is. Oh. Okay, I appreciate that. All right, sir. You're very welcome. You take good care. 855-560-9900. Running late, got to go. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, we're back right after this. Take the last train to Foxville, and I'll meet you at the station. Hey, Ron and Andy, the car doctor, welcome back. And uh, rest in peace, Peter Tork. Thanks for the great memories and uh, the great music. Let's go over and talk to Ted in Maryland, 88 Chevy pickup truck. Ted, what's going on? Uh, yes, sir. Um, I got that truck. It's an 88 uh, Chevy uh, one ton dual uh, uh, wheel. Right. Uh, it's a C C thirty. Right. C thirty five hundred. What is it? You you put a battery in it, or you change the battery and it won't start? Uh, what happened is, is um, I might sound a little nervous. It's the first time I ever called in. That's okay. Radio. Breathe, brother. Breathe. Um, but uh, anyhow, my battery went dead, and I went out and bought a new battery, eight hundred and fifty cranking amps. Put it in there, and and. Went to turn the went to turn the key on, you know, to turn it down starting position. Had the radio on, and then when you when you turn it down, the, you know, the radio is supposed to go off, which it does. But then when the lever up off of it, it's supposed to start. All right. Well, it's not doing any of that. So so uh, when you so when you turn the key, there's no dash lights, there's no radio, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's the radio, the radio, uh, you know, it stops for a minute, and dash lights are on. Okay. And then, like I said, when you leave up off of it, you know, it's supposed to start. But right. It doesn't. Well, okay, so when you turn the key to crank, does the engine turn over? No, it doesn't. It doesn't it just, when, you, when, we, when you hit the switch, it doesn't do anything. It just lights up the, the, the dashboard where it's supposed to light the lights up. And then the, and then the uh, radio, you know, turns off, okay. which I think that's supposed to do because it's bad. That's the connection there, right? Stupid, stupid connection. Well, yes, but stupid comment. The car's in park, right? There's a sticker and automatic. Yeah, this is, it's a, it's a, um, it's a, um, it's a, um, yeah. It's a, um, go ahead. Um, you, you, you got to push the clutch in for the safety switch. Right, so it's a, it's a stick. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so and so, what I did is I tried and I, I tried, so I thought maybe it was a starter. I took the starter out, had it checked, and put it back in, and still did the same thing. All right. So here's so, my here's my question. All right. Um, take a flashlight. Look under the dashboard. You're going to see a clutch safety switch at the top of the pedal. Yeah, I, I took that out. I took that out and had that checked. All right. Well, is it plugged in? It and, was plugged in. Pardon? It was plugged in, right? The starter. Yes, sir. Okay. It was plugged in. Yep. And yep. there's there's no extra cables coming off the battery. There's no auxiliary feeds that got knocked no, loose when no, you changed the. No, no, it's just the, the uh, positive and the negative. All right. So then do this. Can you get a voltmeter down to the starter? There's going to be a separate wire. It should be purple in color, feeding the solenoid. When you turn the key to the crank position, when you turn it to crank. 12 volts has to appear on that solenoid wire. It's going to be it's going to be purple or pink, but it's going to be the only wire going to the singular S mark terminal on the solenoid. It's going to be purple or pink. And if you don't have if you don't have power energizing the solenoid on the starter and the keys in the on position, then you've got to trace it back up top. You may just be the lucky one that has a bad starter. Or I'm sorry, a bad ignition switch or a bad feed, and it just happened to coincide with the with the um, you know battery going dead itself, so let's right. let's start to diagnose it before we start taking any more parts out and just you know doing this individually. Let's think how does this circuit work? If you walked into the front door of your house and turned the light switch on, and and it didn't light, obviously everybody puts a bulb in. When the bulb doesn't work, what's left? The wiring or the switch on the wall? So and the fuse, right? And the fuse. So, you know, you change the battery. The starter's your light bulb. You tried that. That didn't work. You've looked at the clutch safety switch. That's not it. So now you've got yourself down to, is it the wiring? Is it fuse? But it's something with power that's supposed to power that starter. Let's start to think about how that circuit works and take a look at right. that. And then uh, um, we can go from there. Let me. i got to cut you short, uh, Ted. Take a look at that. Call me back, and then we can talk a little further because we're wrapping it up against the clock. I'm Ron Anini, The Car Doctor, coming up next. Ben Johnson, Mitchell One. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. back running in the car doctor you know the, the technology on cars today just increases every day as a matter of fact if you wait 10 seconds from now well you get the idea it's probably increased two and a half times from whatever it was adas advanced driver assistance systems well i don't want to give it away too much folks because i'm i'm taking away ben johnson's thunder but we're here to talk about that today and we're ably assisted by ben johnson he is the director of product management for the folks over at mitchell one mitchell one information systems and we're happy to have him here with us and i'm glad he took some time ben welcome to the car doctor sir how are you today I'm great, Ron. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Oh, you're very welcome. We're, we're happy to have you here. So, you know, ADAS, it's, it's, it's the new buzzword in the industry and for consumers and the owners of the vehicle um, and the technician. You know, what does it mean? What is it, you know, how are we going to fix it? It's a brand new system that's a little over the top in some places in terms of technology. What's it all about? Well, you're exactly right. It is a, uh, it is the buzzword of the industry. And I think the interesting thing about ADAS, Advanced uh, Driver Assistance Systems, is it's not a thing. And, and even if you 
uh, you know, you have your shop. If you look in your information system for ADAS on a vehicle, typically you won't find anything because it's kind of an industry-invented category that includes things that uh, consumers in techs will be uh, uh, knowledgeable about, like adaptive cruise control, you know, things that might be called radar cruise control or blindside monitoring or pedestrian detection and things like that. So it's really a, a, a whole bunch of features that uh, car manufacturers have been introducing over the last several years focused at, you know, improving the safety of the vehicle and helping to uh, uh, to avoid collisions either with objects or pedestrians. So so it's it's um, also it's also been that the things such as uh, you know, if you're driving, I know there's some cars out there if you're driving and you start to nod off, you'll the, the seat will vibrate or the steering wheel vibrates to kind of wake you up. It's that, that's that's all part of this, right? It's a lot of it is safety features keeping them keeping you safer behind the wheel. Absolutely, it sure is, and uh, they've been proving to. They've got now statistics that show that it is actually uh, helping avoid accidents and uh, avoiding uh, traffic fatalities. So it's uh, it's actually a very good thing. You know, one of the things I'm aware of is that you know we had this conversation in class about a year ago when we were first talking about ADAS uh, with regard to in the event of an accident. The, the driver assistance systems now record a lot of that information, and a lot of the car companies are filtering that information to, you know, which, which way was your head pointed? Were you back against the headrest? Were you focused? Were you, you know, and they're, they're saying that in some cases certain systems can tell. Were your eyes looking down? Were you on the road? Were, you know, what were you doing at the point of that impact? And I, and I guess that's really what we're, we're, we're trying to make people safer be, behind the wheel. Um, yeah, um, a, 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 you're exactly issue. right, and, and you know it even goes as broad as you know there are there are now vehicles that detect not only the uh, presence of a of a passenger in the front seats like they've done for a while for the airbag controls, but even for the back seat so that they can warn you if you've like I, I don't know who does this, but I guess we read about it right is that you leave your child in the back seat of the car and go grocery shopping or something, they'll actually alert you about things like that as well. So it's all around safety and and things like that so for the guy in the shop guy like me guy you know there's there's thousands of guys out there listening to us right now don't get nervous ben and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um you know the, the cars will have um you know, forward-facing radar right that little black box mounted behind the grill yep. so the car comes in and it it needs an ac condenser or it needs a radiator now i've got to take all that apart well now what happens because now i just I just can't take this optical mounted device that needs to point out to the road and unbolt it and bolt it back in, right? There's a procedure here. There is, and that's what really um, it's it's not it's nice that you're bringing this up on your show because uh, a lot of technicians don't understand exactly that scenario. So, you know, the 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 trick to making all this work is keeping it all in proper calibration. These are, like you said, they're cameras, they're radars, and they are designed and programmed to understand where they are in the world, or at least in the presence of that vehicle. And when they see something, they're programmed to understand based on their calibration where that something is. So as you state, you, uh, there's certain cars, if you just remove the, if you're going to replace the AC condenser or the radiator, there's just a little box with, you know, three or four screws holding it down, and you don't think anything of it. You take it off, you do the job, you do the job correctly, you put it all back together, and as far as you know, you put it back together correctly, and you probably did, but just the, as you point out, just the, the act of moving that device, r removing it and reinstalling it, the screw um, precision isn't there to make sure that it's 
dismounted exactly the same way that it was. So there's a recalibration procedure that many times has to be performed. And and that's not something the average shop is really going to be able to do, is it? Well, you know, and that's an interesting point. So there's a couple, and, and the, the real challenge is that it's not consistent, right? So there are a lot of cars that to do that calibration, you have to have a, a, lo- a lot of space, like between like 25 feet in front of the car maybe and 45 feet to the sides that's unobstructed and a targeting system that sits in front of the vehicle so that you can calibrate that and it doesn't accidentally lock onto another object in your shop instead of the calibration targets that you want it to. And those fixtures are not cheap, and of course a lot of shops don't have that kind of space to dedicate. And so that's a challenge. Um, and then there's another type of calibration that actually doesn't require any targets. And most, you know, I know that uh, our brand, uh, you know, we're part of the Snap-on family of companies. Our scan tools will initiate those calibration procedures, but it requires time. You might have to drive that car from, you know, 15 to half, 15 minutes to a half an hour at speeds uh, 35 miles an hour and above for, you know, some amount of time. And you know, so, A, you've got time commitments to, to do that, and depending on where your shop's located, you may not be able to do that at certain times of the day. I know you're not going to do that in Los Angeles or right. Washington, D.C., right, for uh, a good part of the day. So right. there's yeah. challenges either way you try to do it. And, you know, for the consumers out there, Ben, and for the technicians, um, this could be something, you know, you could have to do a, an ADAS calibration from something as simple as replacing a windshield. Right, exactly. It, it, Even as simple as a four wheel alignment. Right? right. Many times we'll throw uh, these things out uh, of calibration. Yeah, and that was, and that was my next comment. So the days of the well, just you know, shoot toe and let it go. That's coming to an end. That's 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 over now because now the alignment is tied to a steering angle sensor. I don't have to tell you. And you know that's tied to the rest of the systems, which way the wheels point, how it reacts. Uh, you know, which way the forward-facing radar, the, the back-mounted security camera, the forward-mounted camera, they're all tracking and telling these cars where they have to be. I think the guys are going to have the hardest time. Tell me if you agree. The body shop owners, how are they going to keep up? Body shop owners are struggling with that right now, and you're right, because they, they deal with it on every... You know, the challenge with this technology is, as you've pointed out, all these devices are all around the car, and they have to, by necessity, be very obvious. I mean, you know, they can't be hidden in the middle of the car or, you know, somewhere that's, you know, they're not likely to get shifted around. As you pointed out, just uh, replacing a bumper or even repainting a bumper, you have to be very careful about the thickness of the paint and things, because that can affect that uh, some of those ultrasonic sensors. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of a new normal. I mean, the safety aspects are very good. Um, you know, I think this is a real benefit to the to the uh, driving public, but the driving public is going to be faced with, you know, your, you know, I don't know what the current uh, special alignment deal is, the $99 alignment or whatever it is. That's it's over. Gone yeah, that's gone. Yeah. That alignment is going to be accompanied with a recalibration procedure. And what, what some shops are doing, of course, is they're investing in the equipment to do this, what we're finding in a lot of areas is you'll find a shop that does have the space and, and does have the wherewithal, and they will. We're, we're seeing a lot of hub and spoke relationships where one shop will invest, and all, the other shops they'll do their radiator replacements or their windshield replacements or whatever they're doing, and then they'll send those cars over to the one shop and just sublet that. So one shop says very busy doing the ADOS, and the others are, are doing what they've always done, and, and you know, kind of feeding him business. And we're, and the collision shops are doing that as well. They're either feeding it to the dealerships, which, you know, is one avenue, and even the dealerships are are challenged with sometimes the space and the uh, 
and the equipment to, to do all this. And so the wait times to get all these things done is a, is a bit of a challenge. Um, and then we're seeing, as I said, the aftermarket shops kind of jumping into those uh, opportunities as well. It's, it sort of makes that basic mechanical 62 Ford Fairlane look like a desirable vehicle to a point, huh? Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's um, definitely easier to work on. Yeah, without a doubt. Hey, Ben, real quick in our closing minute. So, you know, Mitchell stepped up to the plate. You've created a category now in Mitchell 1 ADAS, right, if we're looking for that information as a repair shop. Tell us real quick, if you can, in 60 seconds or less, how did you, how, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make you put all this into a tight time spot. How did you do it? Because it looks great on, on, on the computer well thanks and yeah we uh you know we recognize you know, one of the big challenges of course whether your shop or, or your your uh, listener shops are going to perform these um ADAS calibrations on their own it's important they understand what they're getting into when they do a job so we put um a feature in the uh, protoman product mitchell one's protoman that's it's called ADAS uh, driver assist and when you click that, it, it combs through. So let's say you've got a vehicle identified in the system. You're working on a 2017-something, and you click this button, and it'll sift through all the OE information we have to say, look, this car could have been equipped with this forward radar, this side sensor, this rear camera, whatever, and then it'll actually identify when those devices do need calibration. If, it, if it's an alignment or, or just an R&I of, yeah. uh, of that component or what have you, right. so it's a very quick reference. And then, of course, you can click in and see what the procedure is to do that calibration, whether it requires targets or just a drive or what, what have you. Yeah, and that's, and that's, you know, that's industry leading. Ben, we've got to go. We're up against the clock. I, I, I really want to thank you personally for taking the time today and also for all the efforts out there at Mitchell One making my life and thousands of other mechanics' lives easier. You guys do a great job. Where can the listeners get more information? MitchellOne.com? MitchellOne.com should have what they need, and we can uh, set them up with uh, information for whatever they want to learn about us. And I appreciate the time on the, on the show, Ron. Thanks you're, very you're very much. welcome, Ben. You take good care. Have a good rest of the weekend. I'm Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Annie, the Car Doctor here. I want to again thank Ben Johnson and the folks over at Mitchell One for taking the time today. Let's get over to Claire in Maryland talking about buying a Ford Flex. Claire, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I, I'm wondering what you would think about buying a 2010 Ford Flex if, if there would be a problem with uh, getting parts as it's an older car. And I don't see that many on the road, but I prefer that to a van. Well, I always think about parts. Parts are a big part of my, my mindset when I'm purchasing a vehicle. A 2010 is nine years old. You know, it's 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 getting up there in terms of time. Do I have a choice? Can I go to a 20, can I go to a, a, a newer Ford Flex? Or is it just falling out of the price range? No, no, I could. I just happened to see one I liked, yep. Right. And how many miles are on this one that you like? Um, 130. Okay. So it's, yeah. yeah, you know, and the, the the problem is it's nine years old, it's 130,000 miles, and then my next question is always, you know, what sort of documented service record does it have? I have all that. That's that, that's all fine. Okay. And and what kind of a number are they asking for for this car? Um, $9,000. $9,000. Sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? To me, it, to me, it does. And th well, and then my next question is: so that's nine thousand. Let's 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 just make it an even number ten. Let's say it's ten grand. All right. Do, mm -hmm. you, ha do you have another five thousand? Uh, yes. Okay. So throw five thousand in it, and now you've got a budget of fifteen. How much more car does fifteen buy you? Does that extra five get you? Does that extra five thousand buy you 
a four or five year newer vehicle with half the mileage? And if it does, it would make sense to me to purchase that, provided it's as nice and as clean a condition, because that 130,000 mile nine year old car can easily chew up $2,000 in the first year for service, repair, brakes, tires, whatever it might need, unless you happen to found the one that really, truly, absolutely doesn't need anything, but that's a hard thing these days. Okay, and I don't see that many flexes on the road. Is is there a... No, nah, there's... Do, do, you, do you think they're... I think they're good cars. I have I have more than a few cars. I probably have about a half a dozen, six or seven that I service on a regular basis. They've all got, you know, 80, 90, 100, 150,000 miles on them. They run well, no real concerns, no major issues. But now, if you came to me and said, "Hey, I want to buy, I want to buy Keith Wright's Ford Flex," I'd say, "Yeah, that's great," because I know everything that's been done to it, and I know who did it. I'm sort of a fuss, I'm like a fuss pot like that. So, you know, con- condition dictates demand. Who worked on it? How they worked on it? And what was actually done is all part of the equation. Now, okay. if, if you find for that extra five thousand dollars, you're only going to be able to buy a 2012, and it's got a hundred thousand miles on it. Then you know you got to compare the condition between the ten that you have and the twelve that you might find, and 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 make a decision from there. All right, but as Thank a rule, you. the Ford Flex is a good vehicle. Good, that's All what right. I needed to know. All Thank right. you so much. You're very welcome. You take good care, and thanks for calling. Um, yeah, you know it's tough buying a used car, right? You've got to you've got to watch what you're buying today, and there's a lot of questions and a lot of things to think about. I appreciate the question. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. We're coming back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Running into the car, doctor. You know, I read this email a couple of weeks ago. I never finished it. I'm amazed at, and we're just talking to um, the, um, I'm sorry, I think it was Mary in Maryland, or Claire, Claire in Maryland, about um, buying a used car. And I'm amazed at, you know, how the mileage on the cars is going up and up and up, right? Um, 130,000 miles on a nine-year-old Flex, and she's considering buying it because it looks like a good car. Yeah, because cars are lasting longer. And maybe... You know, maybe car companies are going to have to start to make parts available longer, but maybe they don't want to. Hink, wink, wink. You know, like maybe that's the maybe that's the deal here. We want to you know make cars so we can't get parts from. We got to buy a new car. Um, you know, but from this is from Michael down in Texas, and he's talking about this is the email I read a couple of weeks ago. We haven't gotten back to yet. He's talking about in response to a caller about a Toyota Sienna with 200,000 miles on it and, you know, what to do to fix it up. And, you know, Michael's got some great insight as far as, you know, what goes and what has to be replaced on uh, Sienna's because he's driven one for quite some time and he's got a ton of miles on it. But, you know, it's it's the idea that cars are lasting longer and they are they are made better and they just take care and caution. I wonder what the ADAS system, the Advanced Driver Assistance System electronics, is going to be like after that car is 10, 12, 15 years old in terms of aligning and calibrating it. And will the electronics on the newer cars become obsolete like Windows 7, XP, 3.1, and so on? Things to think about. I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.